This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Rupa Subramania show. I am Rupa Subramania. Today we'll be talking about the aggressive pushing to the forefront of the transgender agenda by woke leaders like Joe Biden in the US and our very own Justin Trudeau. Both Biden and Trudeau, for example, declared March 30th as Transgender Day of Visibility. To talk about the trans agenda, all of the issues at play here, at least as much as we can get into today, uh, and especially as it concerns children, I'm joined today by well-known gender-critical activist and writer for the post-millennial Mia Ashton. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, so Mia, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, let me first uh, start by asking uh, why you believe gender identity ideology is uh, harmful or doing harm to women, the LGBT community, and especially children? Okay, that's, um, <laughs> I'll start with women. So gender identity ideology, first of all, let's define it. So this is the idea that what makes a person a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl is a gender identity, something you can think of like a gender soul rather than the material reality of your body. So in the world that I live in, I do not believe in gender identity ideology. I believe a woman is an adult human female and a man is an adult human male. But if you believe in gender identity ideology, you believe that a female gender identity encased within a male body or a female body is what makes a person a woman. Now, if you apply that across society, we segregate spaces in society by male and female. We segregate them by sex. And that is for the protection of women and girls because males commit almost all violent crime and almost all sex offenses. So if you are now saying that what makes a person a, a woman is a female gender identity, you are opening up women's spaces to any male who chooses to self-declare that he possesses one of these female souls, and then he is permitted to enter a woman's space. It's hard for me to understand how people don't see the problem with that because it's so open to abuse by the worst type of men in society. 
then the LGB, okay, we have the, these, these gender identity proponents have redefined homosexuality away from same-sex attraction to same-gender attraction. So that gives you the concept of the male lesbian and the female gay man. So you have got a heterosexual man who identifies as a woman and he's attracted to women, so he therefore thinks he's a lesbian. Now, lesbians are being called transphobic for saying they are only interested in women, female women. <clears throat> and also, they, they can be kicked off lesbian dating apps for specifying in their bios that they're only interested in females. Uh, they meet in secret, they can't have lesbian events. They can't advertise them because if they do, a bunch of heterosexual men who think they're lesbians will show up. And the same goes in the other direction for gay men, but to a lesser extent. There are some women who identify as men who think they are gay men, and they are invading gay men spaces as well. And then children. That's my issue. Because we have come up with this idea that everyone possesses a gender identity, and we tell children this, we tell children that what makes them a boy or a girl is not the material reality of their body, but this gender soul within them. So a gender non-conforming child or adolescent will interpret that to mean that their gender non-conformity makes them a member of the opposite sex. We've seen a, on average, 4,000% increase in adolescents identifying as transgender, showing up at gender clinics, and then the gender clinics just usher them onto this brutal medical pathway for which there is no solid scientific base whatsoever. Yeah, so how did that, uh, let's stick with uh, children, uh, because, you know, that, that um, the basic premise at least as far as I'm concerned, is that if you're an adult, do whatever you want. But when it comes to children who have no agency, um, that's when it's uh, that's when it becomes problematic. Um, how did the practice of um, um, uh, you know allowing children to make these decisions for themselves when it comes to their body? How did that come about? I mean, these are some of these decisions are irreversible. Um, and uh, and there have been stories, plenty of docu uh, stories out there of people who, uh, children who've been put on this path and come to regret it at some point in their lives, you know, when it's too late. So a strange thing happened within the medical community, I would say around the around 2010 or so. So the modern trans rights movement came along and demanded that we all believe that these gender identities are innate and immutable in the same way that sexuality is. So the, the modern trans rights movement met the medical world just as the medical world was unleashing upon us this puberty blockers experiment. It's totally, at the time in the early stages, they had no evidence that it worked. They just tried out this insane experiment to block the puberty of children. But when the two events met, all hell broke, broke loose, basically. We have 
major medical associations got captured by the ideology of the modern trans rights movement and bought into this idea that the gender identity is innate and immutable. And therefore, the only option is to affirm it and then put the children onto this experimental medical pathway. And we have we have a group called WPATH, which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health. They have a large part to do with it. They are not a scientific organization at all. They're an activist group. Um, and they pushed this idea that you must affirm children, you must immediately affirm them. It, it, they view psychotherapy and helping a child accept their body as being conversion therapy and only a medical route is possible. So we just, people don't understand that the medical world can be captured in this way. But if you read into medical history and all of the past medical scandals, you can see that this is just another one in a long, long line of medical misadventures. Right, I mean, if you, uh, um, if you wanna talk about eugenics, for example, uh, that 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 would be a great example of that. Uh, how much of this, Mia, has to do with uh, uh, that? This is actually a profit-making uh, thing for uh, for doctors, especially in the U.S., uh, where they don't have socialized medicine. Um, how much of this has to do with ideology? How much of this has to do with making money? I think, in my opinion, it started off purely ideological. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that anyone came along and saw a golden opportunity to make an awful lot of money on sex changes for children. I just, I don't believe anyone saw that and deliberately set it in motion. I think it, it is just when an ideological movement met the medical world in a, in a stage when they were experimenting with something. And I think they were rather excited at the prospect of child sex changes and, and the two met and then disaster struck but there is no question that now once it's all uh, up and running there are definitely people who are making a lot of money and perhaps encouraging fueling the social contagion as a way to profit from it I'm sure yeah. now yeah, we'll talk about social contagion in a little bit, uh, which is fascinating and uh, I think really central to this issue. Uh, but let's let's go back to women. Um, you know, as you noted, women uh, also uh, suffer uh, immeasurable harm uh, when when it comes to this uh, aggressive transgender uh, agenda um, or gender ideology agenda. Um, women increasingly we're being denied our biologically uh, legitimate claim to be called women. Um, and I'm thinking of sports, for example, where so many world records have been set by uh, men who call themselves women. Uh, these individuals are obviously bigger and stronger. Uh, and so therefore, it is not a fair contest, in my opinion, at least. And I'm thinking you're, you 100% agree with me on this. Uh, and women are now starting to push push against this. Um, and, and some men are also starting to take um, a position on this. I don't know if you followed uh, this recent story from uh, over the weekend where a Canadian, uh, uh, a man in Alberta, uh, Avi Silverberg, um, decided to make a point by identifying as a woman uh, and uh, shattered a world record, I think, in powerlifting. 
do you see do you see the battle in sports as possibly one of the front lines uh, uh, in you know on the trans uh, issue right now? I I do because it's so visible and it's so obvious. It's quite remarkable that we got to this place where people think or thought that men could fairly compete against women. That's an incredible thing. But because it's so visible, because I think a lot of the the other harms to women, they occur behind closed doors. So if you've got a man identifying as a woman and entering a rape crisis shelter, that's not going to hit the news. That's not going to make headlines. It's happening behind closed doors. And it's happening to society's most vulnerable women who don't really have a voice. But the sports thing is just so it's so obvious and it's so out there and it's so in your face and and it's usually ludicrous it's usually an enormous man competing against petite very athletic but much smaller women so i have hope that the sports thing will anything to bring this to the attention of as many people as possible because Canada has done a remarkable job of just ignoring this for the best part of a decade, just pretending it's not happening. So sports is a good way to get it out there. Well, um, let's let's stick stay with women and let's talk about Kelly J. Keene um, and uh, who's also known as Posey Parker. She's a mother. She's a women's rights activist from the UK. And uh, and she was she's been traveling internationally uh, on her Let Women Speak tour uh, where, you know, she wants to give she uh, women a platform to speak um, um, in defense of what a woman is Um, um, and. And and recently, while she was in New Zealand, she ran into some trouble. You had all of these activists um, basically mob her. She was doused with tomato soup. Uh, New Zealand's immigration minister said um, that, you know, he would prefer if she never set foot in New Zealand, uh, called her views abhorrent um, and, uh, and, and, and said something about her being vile or she, that she was being surrounded by vile people, including white supremacists. Um, what this it, it's almost like women are once again fighting for our basic rights as basic as what a woman is what is going on here how how did things come to this point where leaders um are basically okay with uh with with uh, with with women being treated this way well if you look at what kelly j kelly j keen's views are mm-hmm. it's basically she believes women are adult human females she believes that it is impossible to change sex and that if you are born male you will die male and at all times in between you do not belong in female spaces now 10 years ago these would not have been controversial views Now they are about the worst thing that a woman could possibly say. We are not allowed to define ourselves. We are not allowed to call women women and men men. We are not allowed to say that we would like the privacy and safety of female-only spaces. And she says it, she has been saying it for years, and she came up with the genius idea of these hosting these events to allow other ordinary women also to say it. And that makes her um, public enemy number one. That makes her, you see, the New Zealand thing was because she had been in Australia 
just in the days running up. And in the, at the Melbourne event, neo-Nazis showed up. Now, the neo-Nazis did not show up. They were not invited by Kelly J. They did not show up even to support Kelly J or the women. Neo-Nazis are not exactly known for their stance on women's rights. From what I can understand, the neo-Nazis showed up because Antifa were there. Antifa were there. They protest every women's rights events. They, they really do not want women to speak. So it seems the Nazi, the neo-Nazis showed up to protest the counter-protest rather than to support the women. And then the New Zealand mainstream media had a field day with that. And they painted her as a basically a white supremacist and a Nazi. And then, yes, the 2000 strong mob of hatred crushed in on her. It was a very distressing thing to witness, especially when you take it back to why she was there, just to let the women of New, Ze New Zealand speak and explain why they feel gender identity ideology is harmful. Um, what, I mean, we, you know, I was not there, neither were you, but uh, what, what do you think is the level of support for someone like a Kelly J. Keene, uh, even in a place like New Zealand, which seems to have really like, we, we, you know, gone to the other uh, end of the spectrum here uh, when it comes to uh, these issues. Uh, what is the level of support someone like a Kelly J. Keene um, 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 has these days? In, in I would say all over the world now, it's increasing exponentially. Mm. New Zealand, you see, I, I've long thought that Canada was the worst place to be a woman in, in respect to the gender identity stuff. But I think uh, perhaps I was wrong about that. Perhaps New Zealand does win that prize. So it's hard to tell how much support she had prior to Auckland, but I would think she has an awful lot more now because perhaps Canadians definitely don't know how serious this is, how serious gender is, is impacting women. And I suspect perhaps New Zealand was the same. If you don't have a mainstream media willing to put this to, out in the open and discuss it, normal people might not know it's happening. So an event like Auckland where the nation would have seen a tiny little woman being mobbed by you know they were draped in rainbow flags and i suppose they were trans activists but really they were just aggressive violent men i mean a, a woman a 72 year old woman got punched repeatedly in the head and the the man by a man a grown man and he fractured her eye socket mm. so if you see th scenes like that i think it brings it brings it to the front that this is a really vile, misogynistic movement that is definitely a danger to women. Yeah. Um, let's turn our attention to uh, gender dysphoria and transitioning among young people. Uh, you've recently written about the influence of social contagion in this context. Could you uh, explain how that works? Right. So the concept of social contagion is nothing new. It, it, we've known about ideas, emotions, behaviors, they are contagious. That's what it means to be human. You can see social contagions happening all around you at all times. It's not a bad thing. You can have social contagions of happiness. You can have social contagions of, um, I don't know, recycling, anything. But the social contagion of gender dysphoria, 
you can see there are people who deny that it's a social contagion and that's mind blowing to me. But if you look at the referrals to pediatric gender clinics, there are plenty of graphs out there. And so in the years prior to 2015, there were almost none. Children just, almost no children suffered from gender dysphoria. And the ones who did were typically male children and their discomfort with their gender started from a very early age. Then in 2015, you see a sudden spike. You see exponential growth of referrals to gender clinics. And all of a sudden, it's almost all adolescent girls. It's teenage girls. Their gender dysphoria started suddenly at puberty, almost always after spending an awful lot of time online. And they are they typically have one or more psychiatric comorbidity, a, a mental health issue that coexists with the gender dysphoria, very often preceding the gender dysphoria. So it would be something like self-harm, anxiety, depression, eating disorders. Um, a, a disproportionate number of them are on the autism spectrum as well. So all social almost all social contagions throughout history have been observed to affect predominantly teenage girls and young women. And that's exactly what we're seeing with this one now. And you just have to look at the messaging that these girls are receiving. They, if you go online, you can find thousands upon thousands of young women, teenage girls and young women on TikTok, showing off their mastectomy scars, talking about how wonderful taking testosterone is and making transitions seem fun and exciting and cool. There's the same thing going on on YouTube. They're getting these messages from schools. The schools will celebrate anyone who comes out as transgender. It's, it just gets into the distressed mind. If you're a teenage girl and you're very uncomfortable, you're depressed, you're miserable, and you don't know why, and then you come across the idea online that you, you could be transgender. And it's tantalizing for them because it gives them a, a, an escape. It gives them a solution. And it's not, it's, it doesn't, it's not really easy, but to them, it looks as though medical transition will solve all of their problems and then they will find happiness. The tragedy is many of them go down the medical pathway. They get all the way to the end. They have their he healthy breasts cut off. And then they realize gender wasn't the issue to begin with, and then they have a lifetime of regret ahead of them. So, uh, Mia, I've heard this uh, uh, year uh, from other people as well. What what happened in 2015? Why was there a spike in um, uh, the number of uh, young people looking to transition? What happened in that year? Well, it's around it's around then that the modern trans rights movement really ramped up the messaging. It really kicked off around the mid 2010s. And in an effort, I want to be generous here, in an effort to um, increase visibility, I suppose, to increase acceptance, they started pushing the concept of the transgender child into television shows and books and, and popular culture. So we have the the reality TV show I Am Jazz. I don't know if you know that show. It's a jazz is a male child, and the parents transitioned him, and 
it's a reality TV show following this this teenager's transition, and and it's it's quite a horrifying show. But I think the jazz effect was rather huge, in that it just sort of millions of people watched it, and the concept of the transgender child then reaches millions of people and you can see it it aired in 2015 and then the spike just shoots up and mm. in England they had a, another one it was called um transgender kids it was a documentary aired in 2014 or 2015 as well Caitlyn Jenner don't know if you know who that yeah. guy is mm -hmm. He was on the cover of a magazine. I think he was Woman of the Year in 2015. <laughs> um, all sorts of, it just really picked up, you know, it's suddenly we're just bombarded with these messages constantly. And then right then you can see it. Just look at the graphs. You can see it shoot up. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's incredible. Uh, you know, I've I've been tr struggling to understand what happened in 2015, but uh, it this this makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I would also, um, I mean, I mean, based on what you're saying, uh, is that you know, it's it's is it fair to conclude that a desire to transition could be a byproduct of a larger set of uh, mental health issues that a young person may be going through? Oh, there's, I, I would say there's no question. Mm -hmm. I would say particularly for these um, teenage girls who are swept up in the social contagion, they're just looking for an answer to why they feel so bad, to why they hate their body. The, many of them are lesbian, you see, and they are they haven't yet found their place in the world because I think it's more difficult for a homosexual teen to accept their sexuality and and there is still homophobia in the world so many of them there, there are lots of of gay teenage boys who will find themselves in this in this place where they just they don't want to be gay they hate their bodies and then they see this celebrated transgender identity it's not their fault the children the young people caught up in this who have serious maybe probably have serious mental health issues and they need help and they need psychotherapy, they are being completely failed by a medical world gone mad that just one day decided to start performing sex changes on adolescents and all of society for just the people just turning a blind eye and, and not questioning where, where have all these transgender teenagers come from. I heard a story that there's a there's a class, a high school class in Ottawa, that there are five girls who identify as trans in one class. Now, if you're an adult and you see that happening and you don't question why, you are failing these children. Yeah, no, we'll get, come to the teachers and parents in 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 a bit. Uh, but uh, just to finish up, uh, finish off social contagion, uh, it could, uh, you know, of course, it comes from peers, but also from uh, celebrity uh, transitions like Elliot Page uh, and the fact that such uh, individuals are glamorized, right? Of course, you see, yes, the Ellen Page thing, this is, you know, it's a woman, she's a lesbian and uh, she comes out as transgender and gets put onto the cover of magazines and celebrated and she's so brave and she's so that is going to get into the minds of young girls, young lesbians, um, teenage girls who are struggling, and they're going to see someone being celebrated for having healthy body parts chopped off. She had 
perfectly healthy breasts cut off and then posed on the cover of a magazine. And we all, for some reason, celebrate that as if that's a wonderful thing and not absolutely barbaric. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've been watching a bunch of her interviews uh, recently and prepping for our uh, conversation. And uh, it, it seemed to me as it, it it seemed to me that she was genuinely uh, unhappy being in her body. Like, to what extent um, are there numbers out there where they're just genuinely there are people out there just don't like their body. They've never liked being in their bodies and they just want to be someone else. Is that is 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 that a possibility? OK, well, there were before the social contagion. There were people who suffered from what we now call gender dysphoria. I find aren't many of us unhappy in our bodies, though. I think whether you have gender dysphoria or not, a lot of people will be unhappy with a part of their body. But your body is your body. And no amount of testosterone or body part amputation or anything is going to change the fact that, you know, you must live in your body. So... There were certainly people before who suffered from gender dysphoria. They were almost all male. It was pretty much unheard of in women and girls prior to this social contagion. So while I don't know, I won't go into whether it's real or not, but it's certainly there were people who suffered from this condition before, but we have created this explosion with our obsession with trans rights and our obsession with you know celebrating transgender celebrities and 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 these tv shows and everything we created the problem and i you said that you support an adult making that decision i i suppose i do in one way but there are also many vulnerable adults who make this disastrous choice thinking that transition will solve all of their problems only to come out at the end and realize that not only did transition not solve their problems, but they, it also created a whole host of other very serious problems that they will now have to live with for the rest of their lives. So if you're going to embark on medical transition, as long as you understand everything and as long as you have read the stories of detransitioners, you, have, you understand the possibility of regret and you understand that it is not a magic bullet that can fix everything, then okay, sure. But I don't think people are being prepared for what medical transition really is these days in clinics. That's that's a fair point. Um, I think, um, you know, it's not that different from uh, my view on this, which is, you know, as long as you're aware of all of the risks involved, you're aware of the consequences, and uh, you're uh, an adult making these decisions, um, you know, you, you, I, I think once you just, you may not like the decision. I, I, I mean, I may not like that decision for you, but, uh, but you, surely you're not, you're not suggesting as a, uh, uh, as, as an activist that this, these procedures should just be banned, right? I'm not saying they should be banned. There was a, there was a, I think he's a psychiatrist who used to work at the very controversial, soon to be closed Tavistock clinic. Mm -hmm. And he used to run a group for people, people wanting to transition 
and people who regret their transition. And he put the two together and he had, I think, about 98% of the people wanting to transition did not ultimately end up medically transitioning. So I think, yes, if you if this is something that you really understand and you understand what can go wrong and what what medical transition can and cannot do, then sure. And I'm a bit hardline because I think you should be at least 25 years old because the brain does not finish maturing until around age 25. And we would we would never perform vasectomies or tubal ligation on anyone under age 25 because we know that they are likely to grow and mature and change their mind about whether or not they want to have children. So the same rules should apply for anyone seeking transition. They should be a fully grown adult and that doesn't happen until the mid twenties. Uh, under the age of 25. Yeah, I, this, this, there are some uh, um, uh, similarities here to the MAID debate, the medical assistance in dying uh, issue uh, in Canada where um, where it could potentially be extended to uh, mature minors, for example, uh, and uh, mental illness. Um, what is your position when it comes to children? I'm probably more hardline when it comes to children, um, when it comes to stuff like puberty blockers. Um, I don't think, I mean, I think if you're a child, you can't uh, serve in the army, if you can't drive, if you can't dr drink, uh, why are you uh, allowed to take puberty blockers? Well, you see, absolutely, I, I, no children, no children should be allowed to socially or medically transition i am i am certain of that puberty blockers when they first came on the scene they they were first conceived um in the 1990s in a in a dutch clinic the idea was that you would you would block the puberty to give the the adolescent more time to think that was the idea so they started this experiment and then they figured because it's just a temporary fully reversible pause, a child can consent to that because it's not it's not technically very invasive. And then as the years went on, they realized almost all, all or almost all of the children put on puberty blockers were progressing to cross sex hormones. And so that many people, I think, in the beginning questioned, well, is this is this locking in the gender identity? Is there something about the puberty blockers that is preventing the natural desistance that would have occurred otherwise? Because we know that without the puberty blockers, about 80%, up to 98% of children will desist and no longer wish to medically transition after puberty. And so when the puberty blockers came along and 100, almost 100% were progressing, you can then no longer call them a fully reversible pause. And so then to consent to puberty blockers, you basically have to have the capacity to consent to the cross-sex hormones, which almost inevitably will follow. And a child cannot consent to that. It's simply impossible because with the cross-sex hormones comes chemical castration, it's, it comes infertility, um, it comes permanent changes to the body. And then you're locking in the gender identity that they have as a child that would almost certainly have passed had you allowed them to just grow and mature. So no, children absolutely cannot consent to the medical pathway. And 
they should not be socially transitioned either because if you tell a little boy that he's a girl and then you raise him all the way through childhood telling him he's a girl lying to him what's going to happen when he gets to puberty of course he's going to want the medical pathway because he's been told all his life mm. that he's a girl that's very detrimental as well yeah no absolutely so let's uh, that's that's a good way to transition <laughs> to um, the role that uh, parents and uh, school counselors uh, play uh, in this uh, on uh, when it comes to uh, tra trans issues. Um, um, it seems that in an increasingly uh, woke school system here in Canada, teachers and guidance counselors are uh, 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 counselors are supporting or maybe even encouraging transitioning by confused young people uh, who are uh, way below the age of majority. Uh, these people, as I said earlier, can't vote, but apparently they can make these irreversible life-changing decisions uh, regarding their bodies, uh, which, uh, of course, some then come to regret. Uh, do, you, you, do you think there's a failure here of our institutions? I think there's an enormous failure. It's, it's incredible that... Uh, you see in in schools all across Canada, they will allow your child to change to change their name, pronouns, everything to basically socially transition at school, and they won't even tell the parents. They'll keep that a secret from the parents. So that's a, a an enormous betrayal of trust on the part of the school. And at the same time, of course, they're bombarding them with gender identity ideology in the classroom so they will be teaching them that you know this gender soul is what makes them a boy or a girl they'll be confusing them when they're very small children uh, sort of untethering them from reality and then when some of these children fall into the 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 idea that they are a member of the opposite sex the schools will actually facilitate their social transition without telling the parents now if you look at social transition as being a very powerful psychotherapeutic intervention that alters the course of a child's life, it's quite remarkable that teachers are allowing that to occur without even bothering to tell the parents. They're keeping it a secret. They make out that it's a safety issue. They think that if the child were if the child felt comfortable telling their parents then they would they would tell the parents and the fact that the child doesn't feel comfortable means that the parents are in some way abusive that's the sort of warped way of thinking but no the, the what is happening in our schools is is truly atrocious and parents need to be aware of it because many parents don't understand until they find out that their child, her, their daughter, has been going by a male name and a male pronoun for for a whole year. By that time, if you if if the daughter has been living as a boy for for that amount of time, the gender identity again can sort of concretize in her mind, and it's going to be very difficult then to take her off that path and and avert the need for medical intervention. Yeah, um, I've heard this from many parents um, uh, who are just, uh, um, they feel defeated. They feel uh, like, you know, this is um, something that the schools should have been, I mean, as, 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 they're, as parents, they're increasingly, you know, in a situation where they have no control over their, uh, of, of their offsprings, right? 
uh, and schools are just uh, kind of playing along with this and it is it is quite horrific. Um, let's uh, change uh, gears a little bit and we'll talk about the Biden and Trudeau declaration of uh, the trans uh, day of Visibility, um, uh, March 30th, I think, is the Trans Day of Visibility. Um, I, I think I, I, I saw you reacting to uh, Justin Trudeau's tweet a few days ago, and you, you found the verbiage was over the top. Um, Biden went on to, uh, went so far as to call trans people among the bravest people he knows. Um, what do you make of this claim that trans people are among the bravest? I... I often associate bravery with people who've laid down their lives for their country, uh, su- survived civil wars and natural disasters, uh, or for that matter, losing their livelihoods by acting on principle like vaccine mandates. How do we understand this claim that trans people are so brave that they need their own day of visibility? Well, I mean, first of all, how can they possibly need their own day of visibility? Every day is trans day of visibility. We are constantly bombarded with the messaging all the time. But yeah, this idea that to to come out as um, a member of the opposite sex, to be a man invading women's spaces, to be a man demanding that everybody call him a woman and use she, her pronouns is somehow an act of bravery is is it's ridiculous but it's something i would expect from from biden this it's with 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 trans with the trans community with the trans movement we always have to participate in this rapturous celebration of transgender people this is not they claim they want equal rights. They claim that they're just an oppressed minority and, they, and they're, they're fighting for the equal rights that they so deserve. But what they really want is this constant celebration, this constant, we have to place them on a pedestal and worship them and never, never question anything about the movement. And I don't know, I don't know who's writing Biden's speeches, but it, they really, it's almost comical, the, the things that he comes out with. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Or the claim by the trans community that they're uh, facing genocide, which is a very charged claim to make because genocide um, has a very specific meaning and you don't just toss that word around just like that. Um, why, why do you think that um, uh, leaders like Biden and Trudeau are pushing on this issue so aggressively? Um, look, they're politicians and at the end of the day, um, and most trans people, I imagine, would be voting for them anyway. So why are they pushing on this issue so aggressively? They just, when it first appeared in the sort of mid-2010s, I suspect that the, the political left saw it as a sort of easy way to virtue signal and demonstrate what good progressive people they are. And so once they had thrown their support behind it, 
they had to stay all in. So there are, you know, the debate is raging and, and now the, the harm of this movement is being discussed everywhere. People are talking about it all the time. But I think it's very hard for a political party to, to change track on something that they have stood so firm on. And as well, you know, if you look at the, the transgender community will not tolerate anyone even suggesting that there's something amiss and maybe maybe chopping the healthy breasts off 16 year old lesbians is a bad thing like if anyone even suggests that the trans community with their viciousness the trans activist community with their their vicious aggressive um sort of authoritarian control of speech they will pounce on them and they will they will they will attack and they will vilify so They've supported what they thought, I think they thought they were supporting the next gay rights. Mm. And they lazily threw their support behind it without actually really understanding what it was they were supporting. And now they seem to just, yeah, they can't change track. They're stuck with it. Yeah. And and trans issues seem to be, uh, it seems to be most common here in the West, especially uh, the progressive Anglosphere, um, I lived um, for almost 10 years overseas um, and I never saw this level of enthusiasm. Maybe it's changed now uh, because I haven't been traveling much since the pandemic, uh, but you, you never saw this level of enthusiasm in, in the more conservative parts of Europe or in Asia for that matter. Um, for example, the average um, person in India or China or some other place in Asia um, is not animated by these issues. Um, wh what is going on here? There seems to be like a divide between uh, what is happening here and what is happening elsewhere. The, it, it's only happening where we are touched by the modern trans rights movement. It is, I think, gay rights was, gay rights was a long battle. And at the end of that long battle, there existed a whole industry of charities and NGOs that had been fighting for gay rights. And I think you can, perhaps they needed something else to do. They needed, they, they, they had won, they, they, they won marriage equality and, and largely they had won all the battles they set out to achieve. And then they could have just packed up, gone on and moved on to other things. But instead, these these large gay rights organizations latched on to the next big civil rights movement, which is trans rights. So wherever there was a strong gay rights movement, we are now we are now stuck with this trans rights movement. And ironically, the trans rights movement is undoing a lot of the good that the gay rights movement did. And it's sort of annihilating the LGB community and the reputation of the entire LGBT community in the name of trans rights. So mm. I think it's just wherever the political movement, wherever trans rights has touched, society has just descended into chaos. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I can most certainly uh, see that. And also I would argue uh, I mean, this is a controversial point, but uh, the, 
there's very little, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like young people have uh, very little to anchor themselves with here in North America. I don't know if you agree with that culturally or just in terms of religion. I feel like these institutions that we once relied on are no longer um, there really. And, and so the usual anchors that the average young person in India has um, is, is not something they have here. And so I wonder what role that plays in, 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 you know, in, in young people kind of just being left to their own devices. They're left to their own devices. And then yeah. they're, they're spending all this time online yeah. with all of these messages and they're just getting sort of sucked into these, these, these online communities that are filling their heads with the social justice of it and the it's very political and it's it's very cult like they mm-hmm. feel they're just getting sucked into this online cult and and it's because of the the medical world completely losing its mind it's it's the it's a true catastrophe yeah uh finally mia i wonder do you find uh that the pendulum is shifting a little bit here, uh, just in terms of, uh, um, uh, you know, how we're talking about these issues. You mentioned the closure of Tavistock. Um, A couple of months ago, I believe the New York Times wrote a story on, uh, on, uh, or maybe it was um, maybe last month, on how we may be, we may have gotten this wrong uh, in in pushing, um, surgeries on children, puberty blockers, uh, and so on. Do you do you think that the pendulum is shifting a little bit here? It's it's if it's shifting in Canada, it's it's only it's very tiny right now. But internationally, it's huge. Internationally, I would say it's the very much coming to an end the 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 medical scandal, and I think. It's remarkable to me that in Canada, we have managed up to this point to block it all out. You know, we have, we don't just have, you know, one country raising the alarm. Now we have um, Sweden, Finland, Norway, England, and France all, you know, pivoting away from the medical sex changes and back to psychotherapy. We have a number of US states and still Canada remains in this bubble as if none of that's happening. The National Post has been great though, they have written some great pieces, but we're still, I don't know that we are, I, I, I feel we might be the last country to, to face up to what we've done medically. I feel the medical world for some reason here they sort of see that the science is settled and we're getting it right. No matter what's happening in the rest of the world, Canada's getting it right. And that's, that's a baffling thing, but because the crime is so enormous, the harm is so great. It will definitely end. This kind of thing cannot go on forever. So one day, even Canada will have to face up to this. Uh, It will have to. Canada is always an outlier uh, as I uh, 
said that many times in the context of vaccine mandates and uh, pandemic measures. We were one of the last countries to get rid of these things. And uh, so I'm not at all surprised that Canada continues to remain an outlier on this issue as well. And I hope that changes soon. Uh, I would like to thank you, Mia, for uh, for uh, coming on the show and for giving us your insights and it was incredibly informative for me and I'm sure it was for our viewers as well, our viewers and listeners and I hope to have you back here. Um, I'm sure it'll happen sometime soon and uh, for another engaging discussion. Well, thank you, Rupa. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.